you. Hey, this is Chris Barron, and you're listening to the Dulcet Tones of the Mike Sappho Podcast. Ready to roll? Yeah. Chris Barron, what's up, my friend? Hey, man. Thank Cheers. you for having me. Cheers. Yeah. Is this like a regular thing? You have a couple drinks while you're doing Oh, that? yeah, because, you know, if we just sit in the studio or if we just sit here with no drinks, it's kind of like awkward. Mm-hmm. So a few drinks, you loosen up. Maybe you'll say something fun. Mm. We'll see. <laughs> no, it's like radio back in the 20th century. That's like everybody's getting trashed on the radio all the time. Like all those interviews were, you know, hey, you want some, <laughs> want some weed? Want some LSD? <laughs> we got some really good LSD. Like, Okay. And then when I leave, I'm like, I think that guy had a great time on the podcast. It's just because they're so drunk. So Jack Dempsey's <laughs> like, dude, just drink the whole time. <laughs> hey, so I always tell my mom, like, hey, I'm having this this guy on or this one on. And I'm always impressed. Me and Simba, like, we have all these celebrities and athletes and authors are on. So I told my mom, she called the name rings a bell. So I send mm-hmm. the Two Princes video. And she's like, that son of a bitch. I'm like, Ma, why would you say that? She said in the 90s. Did I hook up with her? I think so. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> In the 90s, she said... Dude, did I nail your mom? (laughs) I nailed the cop's mom. (laughs) Oh, man. Damn. Am I your kid? (laughs) You gotta be careful, you know? That's that's why I don't fool around like that anymore. I'm married, you know? Just keep it in your pants, bro. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You know, when you're really young and you're super-duper horny, it seems worth it, but it's not. It's not because someday you're going to be older and you're not going to be that horny anymore. You're going to be like, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Now I'm going to be arrested by this cop that I just randomly did a podcast with. Like the whole NYPD is going to be after me. It's going to be like the word's going to be out. I'm never going to get a speeding ticket again. I'm going to go to straight to jail. Oh, you're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're like an arch enemy guy. Well, man, I'm sorry. Well, the only reason she doesn't like you. Sorry I nailed your no, mom. No. <laughs> it's so much better than my story because my thing was I just wanted that fucking winter hat. All I wanted was the hat you were wearing. And don't tell me you have it. I do. And my mom was so like. So random. I just, like, I oh just my got God. this back. This is the one I wore in the. Uh, are you kidding this me? This is the very one that I wore. On what? The... Yeah, it was in. It was in a. Um, Whoa! Um, your listeners who don't who don't you know are not familiar with my work. I, I'm Chris Barron, lead singer of the Spin Doctors, and you might know me from a video where I wore this Guatemalan <laughs> hat, um, a wool Guatemalan hat. It's kind of like a you know I'm like that guy in the stupid hat from the '90s, kind of. It's yeah. sort of my permanent. I think I should put that on my gravestone. But yeah, this was in this was in wow. a, like a rock and roll How ironic is memorabilia that collection, and the guy who owned it was like, you know, I've had this thing for a long time. Would you like it back? And I was like, dude, yes, I actually would. <laughs> wow. Be wow. awesome to have it back. I gave it to a buddy of mine, and he mm-hmm. was like, you know, I've had it for a long time. Would you like it back? And I just got it back like a couple weeks ago. It's funny. Well, and that's what she said. She said all I wanted was one of those hats. And she was like going around. You can go on the internet and bang it out. Yeah. It was like the middle of summer. She said, all I wanted was a hat. That looked, and I don't remember it. And she's like, that's all I wanted was a hat like <laughs> that. Not because you banged. And then you banged her and she couldn't even get the hat after yeah. you guys slept together. I'm, you know, like I'm, uh, you can't just give everything away. <laughs> you know? Well, listen, thank you for coming down, by the way. Oh, it's I really, I really I live on the Upper West Side. There's nothing. 
Oh, that was my next question. Where you live in the yeah, city? A couple stops on the. I, I live in the '90s on the Upper West Side. I thought it was the uh, alcohol that seduced you to come down here. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, but how far can you really go for alcohol? Yeah, because I, I have it in my house. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but you know, I was thinking on my way down here. Um, this isn't the original um, Sweeney's, but but um, I don't know. It just randomly crossed my mind that uh, have you guys read um, Bob Dylan's um, Chronicles, like his his autobiography? Volume one and two, yeah, two volumes. Okay. So I don't know if it's I don't know if Volume two came out, but Volume one opens with him in a booth with like his manager and Jack Dempsey at Jack Dempsey's, and I was on my way here and I was like. I don't think it's the original one because it's close to Madison yes. Square Garden. We are close to yeah, Madison Square Garden. We're around the corner. It's, it's so not thought, the original one. Yeah, I not. thought maybe it is. Uh, but the, the original Madison Square Garden is like a little further north, actually. Two isn't blocks. It? It's two blocks south, isn't it? By the library, I think. I think oh, it's two blocks oh, south. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, like you, I never thought I was going to be one. I'm a cat dude. Europe, yeah, and I never was. Yeah, I was like anti cats. Some some people are born to cats. Yeah, some people come to cats and some people have cats thrust upon them yeah and I'm, i was anti- i'm a thrust upon guy why are you so yeah. you didn't want him either um i was allergic okay go ahead you tell your story and then i'll beat what? your story with my story that it's second that's time why, that's why you bring here yeah, he, <laughs> yeah. he beat my hat story because he slept with my mom i mean now, i'm like so bad i'm like a one-upper i love you know? it no i, I like, like it johnny one-upper here yeah i'm sorry <laughs> you want a podcast? Sucks, i got a better one yeah. all right Chris <laughs> so i never i was a dog guy my whole life mm. live over here in gramercy and my girlfriend moves in with me and she's like, you know, you have a mouse or two running around. I'm like, no, I, I didn't know that, but it's Manhattan. You're going to get that. Yeah, sure. So we, you know, we put the traps down, we get a couple of the mice, we kill a couple of them. And then she's like, listen, it's just hanging out now. Like it was three in the morning. I'm getting world cup tickets and it was just walking around the house. Yeah. Yeah. They're brazen. Yeah. So I'm like, Ooh, I look it up and they're like, if they're walking around, there's a ton of them. Yeah. Yeah. So she went and borrowed her mom's cat. Cause they're like, I'm expendable. Yeah, he's like, dude, I'm good. They're at that. There's so many of us here. Like, you know, the DNA thing kicks in, and they're I like, won't be expendable. Lost. I'm a little sick. I got a cold. I think I'll take a walk. You he know, was, well, Chris, get myself out around. of the gene pool. Yeah. You know, it's like some Darwinian kind of mouse think. So my girlfriend's mom's cat comes, kills the mice. We never see another one. Yeah, we move. We move again, and she's like, we need to get one. I'm like, listen, we're not getting one, and we travel obsessively. All we do is travel. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we can't have a dog that's selfish. So we went and got a cat called Pickles. That's Pickles. Oh the cat. yeah. So I'll show you a picture of him. And like, yes. Look at little Pickles. Oh come on now. Oh, she? He 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 Pickles? Yeah. So I'm a cat guy now. Now so I'm like cute. We, we just got back. Just and- for your listeners, Pickles is um a very adorable, large-eyed, six-month-old um. That's like a that's like a tabby, yes, just a yes, classic yes, yes. tabby, gray and gray mm-hmm. and white with a touch of brown in there. What a cute, cute cat! And I follow you on Twitter. I see <laughs> you you post all pictures of your cats. Yes, you're a cat guy too. So how yeah, you my get? thing is like hashtag Catterday. Yes. <laughs> so Saturday, like I lose a lot of followers on Saturday because I have about a hundred thousand followers. <laughs> yeah. People are like, hey, this would be cool. Follow the guy from the Spin Doctors. And then Saturday comes around, and it's like I'm out of here because <laughs> I I like retweet. I've kind of toned it down. I used to like my thing was kind of like, hey, you follow me. You send me a picture of a cat, I'm going to retweet your cat, you know? But then, like, people were sending, like, some of the pictures are just, like, you can't even see the cat. And, like, people actually really have no eye for photography. <laughs> so now I, I don't, I, I just, I like every, I like every picture that people send me, but I don't, like, I don't retweet all of them. If they it's gotta a good earn- picture, it's got to be, like, you have to be able to tell it's a cat. It's got to be, like, cute, you know, or, or like, have some kind of, like, redeeming characteristic <laughs> You know, that gets the retweet. You know, I try to keep the bar really low because I don't want it to be like a beauty contest yeah. or popularity <laughs> or anything like that. But yeah, I, I retweet like, you know, 30 to, to 100. I, I, see, I love Like it. cats uh, uh, every Saturday. My, um, my story is um, that um, 
I uh, I met my wife, and um, it was kind of like on. You know, it's one of those things like we've been like inseparable since we since we met. Okay, and she lived up in Inwood, and um, and I, I I just really liked her from the get go. So I made sure that I like schlepped up to Inwood and spent a night or two a week up at her place in Inwood. So it was like. I wanted to show her that, you know, that I had the honorable intentions and that I really cared about her. And nothing says I care like going up to Inwood. No, you that's know, dedication, right? That's yeah. like a long-distance relationship. It is a long-distance relationship. So <laughs> most of the time she was staying down with me, but she had this cat, Gus. And the story of Gus is actually pretty funny. Lindsay, uh, my wife, Lindsay Nicole Chambers, is um, a musical theater actress. And so she, at the time, was in the show Legally Blonde that has um, two dogs in it. There's, um, you know, the main character has like a little um, chihuahua and then one of the other characters has like a bulldog. So they, they had a huge like animal rights presence on the show and like animal trainers and handlers. And it was a very like animal-y show. And um, um, this woman, Orfe, who's an amazing singer, amazing entertainer who was in the show, um, was at the local deli. Now, the deli in the neighborhood always had a kitten, right? So they'd the be bo- like... The bodega cats. Yeah, the bodega course. cats, right? But they would be like there for a while, and then it would be like, oh, there's a new cat. Well, what's this one's name? What happened to the old cat? Oh, well, no, 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 no. And it was like one day Orfei was in there, and, and um, my wife's future cat, Gus, was like out in Times Square like underneath a parked car, right? So she was like, these cats are getting hit by cars. They're just like, you oh. know, wandering out of the deli and getting killed. So she was just like, you know, looked both ways, grabbed the cat, you know, just fucked off back to the oh, theater. I was like, anybody want a cat? Just stole the cat. <laughs> and Lindsay was like, <laughs> Lindsay at that point, like this is right before Lindsay and I met. So we were sort of both like, we both had this moment in our lives where like I'd come through like a, I'd come through like a divorce and a custody battle with two different women at the same time. That's a whole other story. We can get into that later. You can, we can circle back. Oh, we're gonna, but I was, you know, I was like, I made this decision, you know, I had a kid, um, with, um, like a woman I was never with. And, um, she was maybe five, six years old. And I was a very devoted father already, but I decided, you know, I'm just going to think about being a dad, my career, and I'm going to demote romantic love in the in my priorities of life, like down like seven slots. Okay. I'm just gonna just work on my skills, do my job, be a good dad, and just like make a little like girlfriend shaped spot in my life. And if somebody fits in there, great. And if not, like forget the whole thing. And meanwhile, Lindsay had done exactly the same thing. It was just like, screw looking for a boyfriend. That's not going to solve any of my problems. I've got like my apartment. I've got this, you know, job on Broadway. I'm wanted for stealing a kitten. I'm wanted for stealing a kitten. So I've got to keep my head low. But meanwhile, I'm going to enjoy the kitten since I'm wanted for stealing the kitten. So I got my cat. I got my house. I got my job. And, um, you know, cut to the two of us meet and it's fucking on like Donkey Kong. And um, I start going up to uh, to her place in Inwood. Well, I'm allergic to cats. Lifetime allergic to cat. Growing up, my best friend had three cats, and I used to like just sneeze my face off. And the and the medications back then were really rudimentary. There was like Benadryl or nothing, you know. So I'd be up there and I'd go through a box of tissues, and my eyes would be all red. His mom would be like, "How stoned are you?" And I'd be like, oh, "Not at all. Do you have any weed? For God's sake, if you have any, anything will help with this damn cat allergy I've got." So I mean, I was super allergic. So. By now, you know, there's Claritin. So I'd like take Claritin and I'd be fine, you know. But a year goes by and um, I forget to take Claritin one night and nothing happens. 
I go up the next time. I don't take Claritin. And basically, love had cured my, um, my cat allergy. So when Lindsay moved in, Gus moved in, and then we got a second cat, and like I've never looked back, man. I can't imagine life without a cat. You have, now, you have two now? have two. Gus died this summer. Oh. It was brutal. I've never had like a pet die. I mean, I like, I came home. Is, am I turning this into your, like... Oh, I don't care. I'm hanging out the with cat Chris Barron okay, cool. cats. I, I don't know if I'm talking too no, much about cats or, like, if you want me to get into something no, heavier. No, let's talk about cats. Yeah, so, we just hang out. So, um, so, like, I come home and Gus is 12 years old, right? For your listeners who aren't that into cats, a domestic cat should live to be about um, 20 years old. So, he's 12 years old. He's basically like my age, and he's like 50. I'm 50. We're like a couple of 50-year-old guys. He's a 50-year-old cat. I'm a 50-year-old dude. <laughs> you know, he's like my best goddamn friend. Gus was, Gus was really big. He was, a, he was like a large, long cat, and he was kind of a mean motherfucker of a cat. Okay. You know, like, like he, do, he kind of scared me a little bit, you know? And um, he had these big-ass claws. He could like, you know... Like your bar over here, mm-hmm. like he could stand on his hind legs and put his easily put his oh, four legs no up way. on the bar. Yeah, I mean, like when he wanted what? to stretch out, he looked like a goddamn leopard. You know? like his his you know from like neck to the base of his tail was about the length of like like my torso. You know, he was really long. He was a motherfucker, and he didn't take any shit from anybody. So when when he came and like snuggled up to you, you were like, man, this is awesome because he you could tell like. You know, and he and I were like best, best, oh. best buddies. And um, so I come home and he's like on the floor in the bathroom where he never really hung out in the bathroom. He's dragging himself along the floor. Oh. His back legs are paralyzed. And I immediately just knew something was super fucked up. So I take him to the take him to the vet. And, um, you know, like an hour later, I'm putting him to sleep. He had like a congenital heart failure that was they gave him a blood clot that was paralyzing his hind legs. And they were like, we can treat the blood clot, but the heart failure is, is really nothing we oh. can do about it. And so I was in that terrible position. My wife is in San Diego doing, um, doing the new Huey Lewis musical, Heart of Rock and Roll. So I call her on the phone. I'm like, we got to put our cat to sleep, you know. Put him to sleep. And I'm like, you know, anybody who's ever done that knows it's like, it's ghastly. I mean, it's a terrible thing. And so now I'm like upstairs in the in the vet's office like paying 450 bucks to have my cat killed <laughs> you know and they're like i'm sorry for your loss and i'm like just feeling empty you know like i i didn't even like i was like i sh- i feel horrible but i know there's like a whole like world of horrible that i should be feeling but i'm not walk out on the street as soon as i'm alone and there's like nobody looking at me i just start ugly crying and i just ugly cried all the way up Ninth Avenue. The great thing about New York, you know, for your listeners who don't live in New York, is you can walk up Ninth Avenue, ugly crying, and I'm like, you know, there's a part of me that's sort of like, a f- damn, I'm ugly crying. Like, what's gonna happen? No, nothing. Nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody was like, sir, are you okay? <laughs> no um, gave a shit. There, nobody gave a shit. And I, and after a while, like, there's another part of, there's another like guy inside of me who's just, you know, that dude who, no matter how fucked up you are is still like sort of sober and like listening to everything that's going on and sort of making sure that you're like, you know, Straight. that you know you're you yeah. and you're like, no, you're still you. Um, that dude was like listening to the conversations as I was going by. And I was like, these motherfuckers aren't even 
changing the tone of their conversation. I can tell like nobody gives a fuck. You know, I was grateful, but sort of outraged at the same time. <laughs> but anywhere else, basically in the world, in the country, if there's a guy crying like that, sir, yeah. are you okay? Mm-hmm. Here, no one gave a shit. Mm-hmm. They walked right by. No one even thought about it. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you're like, what's that guy crying about? No one Nobody gave a even, shit. No one even changed the beat of the conversation. I could just hear people being like, oh, and then Jordan was like, I don't know. And I was like, I can't even believe you. And then they like these conversations that's It would have been on. funny if someone laughed at you or acknowledge, uh, acknowledge yeah. a grown man crying. Just yeah. acknowledge me crying. Yep. <laughs> yep. I was like walking down the street with like my... My hand over my eyes. You know what I mean? Just snot coming out of my nose. And like, just like boo hooing. Like, it was loud. Like, if you were like asleep in the next room, it would have woken you up. I was like, "Ah!" (laughs) fuck, man. No, that killed me though. And it it, it really wrecked me for like weeks. I I was really surprised. I've never lost a pet. But, you know, I was talking to, um, you know, my therapist, and she was like, you know, like people's. relationships with their animals are just super uncomplicated you know you don't you don't really have like you there's don't have no like, drama there's no drama there's no deep-seated resentment they never like you know fucked you out of some money or like did anything banged your girlfriend banged bang your, your mom, mom. <laughs> you know <laughs> gus would never bang my mom you know he wouldn't know how <laughs> i'm actually going to deviate from my notes because i want to ask you a question about he therapy. would never even think of it <laughs> i want to ask you a question about therapy Every person now, now I work with Opie, every person I speak to talks about therapy. Yeah. I am probably, and Simba can tell you, I'm one of the happiest people you've ever met. Nothing bothers me besides my sports teams losing. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, cut, cut me off this, nothing bothers me. And everyone's like, you should just go with therapy anyway. Do you, because lo- people seem like it really changes their life with therapy. Well, you know, like, you don't seem fucked up. No. I'm fucked up. Are you okay? Yeah. Like, I'm really fucked up. Like, I need therapy. Like, I... I grew up in a household like, you know, people always think Little Miss Can't Be Wrong is about an ex-girlfriend of mine or an ex-wife of mine. Mm-hmm. It's about my dad's ex-wife who used to like oh. kick my door down at four o'clock in the morning and like scream at me until, until like, you know, again, there's that little guy inside of you that's always just sort of like, wow, what's happening here? You know, I would be terrified, you know, 13, 11 years old. She's like screaming at me and there'd be one little sober voice in me going like, God, I... I think the veins on her forehead are going to explode. You know, like she would just scream, you know, until the tendons on her throat were like bulging and her eyes were bulging out. And, you know, I went through a lot of messed up shit as a kid. I moved to Australia when I was um, uh, eight years old, left all of my friends behind. Left Who, the entire, why'd you move out there? My dad um, worked for Avon. My dad is, my dad's a really interesting, very cool guy. My dad, uh, my entire life has had like a dual profession until... He quit working for Avon, and um, all along he'd been writing about cars. My dad's name is Ken Gross, and he's the foremost authority on automobiles in the world. Oh, like legit? Legit. Oh. Foremost authority on, particularly like vintage cars. Okay. Um, uh, Like Italian coupes, like Lamborghinis and and Bugattis and um, and, um, uh, Ferraris and um, American classic cars, hot rods. He's a judge at Pebble Beach. Um, the Concorde d'Elegance yeah. and for 30 years now or something. And um, so, but back in the day, he wrote about cars and he worked for Avon Cosmetics. Okay. The dude had full on, two full on professions. And they moved him to, um, to Australia because my dad was like kind of the guy who could think outside of the box. And they had to start at Avon all over again, figure out how to recruit everything from recruiting, um, 
you know, um, Avon representatives, say Avon ladies, um, in a in a country where women had never worked before. My dad was responsible for some of the first like female employment in Australia ever. The wow. first women who ever had jobs wow. in Australia to a large extent, apart from like the war effort in World War II, was because of my dad bringing Avon over there. So my dad had to figure out that, but he also had to figure out how to market, um, you know, the makeup to, um, you know, people, to to these Australian women, and you know, was, my dad's my dad's a really cool guy. So yeah, that's why we were living in Australia. So you were eight. That's weird to move to a different country at eight, right? Eight years old. Australia is about as different as any place could be without. Um, people speaking a different language. And they do speak a different language. It's just English, but mm -hmm. it's like this completely funky version of English. Eight different stuff and different like sense of humor. And yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. And I got my ass kicked all the time. Because you were the American. The American kid, you know. Um, so, um, and then like when I was 20, I like, you know, got into a rock band and um, lived this completely like kind of abnormal life. So now, I took like where was all this, this at twenty? Where were you? I was in New York City. I moved to New York City. Is that a true story? That might not be exactly hundred dollars. Eighty-eight hundred dollars acoustic guitar. Moved to New York City. Yeah, that's wild. And now look, thirty years later, still Upper West Side. Yeah, own my apartment. Known guy. That's wild. So, yeah. right, so you get here at eighty-eight hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, I just saw that, like, I saw that, like, that's the first paragraph of my Wikipedia page. Listen, as I'm coming here, I read it, I'm like, well, if it's on the internet, it must be true. Chris, Chris Barron only had $100. It must have been a $100 bill because Wikipedia said it, and an acoustic guitar. And, like, 30 years later, still here, still crushing it. Like, Thank you. Did, are you, enjoy, did you enjoy the ride when it happened? Or you yeah. Don't, okay, so you were appreciating it as it was going on? I was lucky because... Um, well, I mean, you know, for a lot of reasons. I, I, hmm. Probably a lot of people who have successful bands come out of a really cool scene. Um, and, uh, and we're no exception. So there was the Blues Traveler and Joan Osborne and, and a lot of bands that people never heard about in New York City. Um, you know, outside of New York City that should have made it but didn't. Bands like Mumbo Gumbo and the Five Chinese Brothers and Joey Miserable and the Worms and, um, you know, characters like Joe Flood and... and um, John O'Manson and Simon Chartier and um, George Breakfast and you know these like amazing musicians that were in these incredible bands and they were really really cool to us when we moved to the city so like um, there was a band called the Surreal McCoys and they did a gig at the Rodeo Bar on the east side every Sunday night and um, I mean everybody went there and it was just all the really hardcore music freaks, and then all any musician who didn't have a gig would go there as well. And they had, um, they, the the Surreal McCoys did like covers, but they did like funny versions of covers, like um, that Elvis tune, like um, Return to Sender. But they did this version that was like Defense to Fumer, <laughs> and it was about a guy going to France and just yeah. being like. Seeing all these, like, trying to smoke a cigarette and seeing a sign, that, like, a cop being, like, he pointed to the sign and it said, <laughs> Defones to Fumer. And then, like, you know, he tries to park somewhere and it's, like, Defones to Parkier. It's just stupid shit like that. But, but it was silly. Were, and they were fucking amazing musicians. And at the end of the night, the last set, they would start bringing people up. So they were just, all these bands, like, the, the, the Worms, like, they were super generous about 
having um, guys like me and John Popper and Eric Shank been our guitar player, like they'd have us like come and we'd be in the audience. They'd bring us up and we'd sit in and they, it wasn't like, um, you know, it was um, very like welcoming and um, they, they knew like, like me, I was so green and they knew I was super green. So that you gotta get on stage and they make me feel like, like I was really cool and they wouldn't like, you know, they, they keep everything pretty elementary and keep the cues kind of like obvious. And you know what I mean? It was just like, they, they, they brought you up there and they wanted you to look they good. They babied you along. But yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, and so, I mean, that was like, you know, a, a lot of the inception of this whole like jam band thing, at least from these New York bands, from the mm -hmm. spin doctors and the blues traveler, we came into this very improvisational kind of scene. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was really lucky. I had a really good time. I mean, I say that with certain like concessions. Um, the the band itself, um, like we've been together for thirty years now. This is our thirtieth year together, and um, still friends. And so it seems like you guys have a good relationship. Yeah, we right? do, we do. But we didn't mm. always. You know, we we came together. You know, like the Blues Traveler went to high school together. They are a band because they're friends. We uh, met in New York City. And honestly, like, we're a band because each guy in the band thinks the other three guys are, like, the best. You know what I mean? I think those three guys are, like, the best bass player, guitar player, and drummer around. And I think the other th three guys think the other three guys are the best, you know, guys around. But we're, we weren't, like, friends, you know? We didn't start out as friends. We started out as, like, you know, guys a, who a business. Could really play together. Yeah, and, and musically, like, musically, like, we happen to be, when you're in a band... Um, any of your like listeners out there, you know, who are like looking to start a band, young, starting a band, or even if you're older, you have to like everybody. A band is like a pirate ship. It's like everybody on the pirate ship like wants something, and everybody on the pirate ship, the captain isn't like the, for the captain. The captain is like the star of the pirate movie, right? Yeah. But like. The swab, you know, up on the deck is like who's like mopping the thing. In his in his movie, it's a it's a movie about a dude like swabbing the deck up there. It's a, it's a movie's about him. Mm -hmm. And so if you if you want to have a successful band or or a group endeavor of any kind, you have to remember that like everybody in your endeavor sees themselves as the star of the movie, and they all want the thing that they want. Some people want. Um, you know, some people want sex. Some people want money. Some people want prestige. And in our case, like, among whatever other things we want, each guy in our band wants to be in a band that's fucking great. Each one of us wants to play great, great music. And that is a, that's, a, that's another, if you're in a band, you know, you got the types of musicians that just want to be in a deeply great band and play with people who are great and play music that's impressive and knocks people out. A lot of your listeners probably only know the Spin Doctors for um, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong and Two Princes. Mm -hmm. Um and so you just kind of have to, whatever, like come out and see us sometime because the band can really play. Every each guy in the band is a um, very accomplished player um, and really diverse, and we all play like different kinds of music, and we've all kind of, you know, learned from each other, um, you know, a lot about playing. And um, and when we play together, there's kind of this uh, synergy. So the music's always been amazing. We always get on stage and it's like, holy crap! I can't believe I'm in this band. But it took us a long time to come around as people. And now I think, I think 30 years later, um, all along we've been like keeping the band together for the music. Um, 
And, um, and we've always had a, a, a friendly regard for each other, but gradually over the years we've become like siblings. And, um, and at this point, and I use the term siblings rather than brothers somehow. You know what I mean? Like we, we're like four, uh, four like people with like, uh, like these sort of funny roles in each other's lives. And like, I mean, like, I don't know why I made the distinction between siblings and brothers, but because it's not like this warm, fuzzy thing all the time. Like we, we fucking like have it out and they're real. It's not like, Oh, they're brothers and they're like fighting on the floor, but they're like really like having a good time deep down. Like, no, sometimes we're not having a good time. Sometimes it's like, we are ruining Thanksgiving. Like Thanksgiving is ruined. You know what I mean? And we're having this fight and it's like the great, it should be the greatest day of our life. And like something comes up and we disagree about something and, and it's like, it's siblings, you know, it doesn't have that kind of fraternity sort of feeling that, that you would get from the word brothers. What was your last fight over? Um, even if it's a small one, what's the last fight over? Volume. Volume has been a huge bone of contention with the band. Um, our guitar player, um, our guitar player, um, man, volume is such a crazy thing in rock bands. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure like everybody who is familiar with rock and roll is like at least come in contact with the idea of like a band being really loud, you know. Um, but the thing about the thing about the way um, guitar amplifiers work is, um, you know, everybody kind of knows like that that rock and roll sound that guitars have that crunchy kind of sound, right? That's called distortion or clipping. Um, and um, in order for an amp to start doing that and have that like great sound, um, they have to be pushed a little bit beyond their limits. And amplifiers are kind of designed to be able to kind of play louder than they're sort of designed to play. They're designed not to catch on fire when you turn them up too loud. That's when it hits the red, right? When it yeah, hits the red. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So um, if, if you have an amplifier that's too powerful, to get it to that spot where it sounds really good, it's got to be crazy, crazy loud. So what ends up happening is you have to be like, you, you have to be like, if the guitar player can't play a really powerful amp at a like normal volume because they got to turn it up to get it. Then you have to actually be like, dude, you have to change amplifiers. And now you're talking about that's his craft. That's his yeah, thing. Now. Yeah. I don't this. even know. I don't even if you know, people with like sort of regular jobs, I don't know. It'd be like, you know, going into somebody, it's, it's going to go into a carpenter and be like, dude, change that hammer, yeah, change that screwdriver. Right, yeah. Or going to somebody that you work with and being like, you have to use this other kind of computer yeah. or something like that, you know, <clears throat> that in their mind is sort of somewhat inferior maybe. So yeah, I mean, that was the last thing that happened was, um, you know, we had like, <laughs> we just had shit with our guitar player and just like, you can't like, can't use these amps anymore. You have to go to, uh, he was playing like a Fender twin, which is a very loud amplifier. And, um, you're just like, dude, we got the 100 watt blues again. And he was like super angry, but he knew exactly what we meant. And, um, you know, we went to Vox AC30, which is a great sounding amplifier. So it's 30 watts rather than 100 watts. And, um, uh, you know, he sounds he sounds fucking great, you know, because, you know. Now, uh, is that a whole band decision? All three of you guys are like, hey, someone so got to step up his game like. Um, it was, it, it all came from like a year or two ago where, um, yeah, 
Simba can talk. I was, I was telling Simba, Simba whenever yeah. you want to talk. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fascinated with this whole like. <laughs> Wait, Chris, this is some inside. This is some inside yeah, rock Chris, and roll shit. I gotta give you the insight of this. So it's my podcast. But yeah. whenever I tell Simba, I'm like, Simba, hey, here's the guest. It's either hey, I'm kind of busy. But if it's a good guest, he comes. That's how I know <laughs> if it's a good guest. So like Omar from The Wire comes on all the time. Yeah, Simba comes and like 80 percent through the podcast, Omar's like, Simba, you gonna talk? He goes. I'm sorry, I'm just watching you. So Simba just comes. I'm like, Simba talk. He did prep work. He's, he walks in. He's like, bro, Chris Barron's fucking legit. I'm like, yeah. He's like, he was so excited about having you here. Now he's sitting here quiet, just staring at you. Dude, I'm into it. I'm not that familiar with the amplifier. So I'm just Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm I don't know. I don't know if it's amplifiers. kind of boring or no, it's it's fascinating. But like, yeah. So, I mean, you know, like the thing about rock and roll, because I, I, want, I want your audience to be like really clear. Like, I want it to be loud. You know what I mean? We got to bring the thunder. Mm -hmm. And that's the art of it is being loud without hurting the audience's ears and without um, one guy in the band being too loud. So it's like you have to, you have to kind of, um, you know, you got to work together with the equipment um, or else on stage one guy will be like super loud. And then, it, and then you can't play like an ensemble. So it's, it's important for, like I'm on stage and I need it to be loud to be like inspiring and, and to, to like for the, I need the, the drums to like kind of kick me like literally I need to feel it. You know, I need to feel it with my body. Um, I remember like the first time I used ear um, plugs on stage, I was like astonished because I'd never realized like you hear with your body on like people, people, um, you know, who walk onto a stage, a rock and roll stage the first time. I love it because they're stunned by the volume. It's a strange environment. It's like scuba diving. You walk on the stage with a rock and roll band playing, you know, the way we play. I mean, we play loud. I'm not trying to mm -hmm. say, like, I'm trying to make it not loud. We're still really loud. A 30-watt amplifier is a very loud amplifier. Um, a 100-watt amplifier is just sort of too... Over the top? Loud. The history of it is that, the history of it is that in, um, in the 60s, when bands started playing stadiums, um, the 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 amplifiers, the technology of the amplifiers, was further advanced than the technology of, of the PA systems, of the sound systems that the so bands they were, were too using. good, better than they were better wow. than the sound systems. So the sound systems were sort of like um, they were kind of like you know when the when the when the Beatles played like Shea Stadium, they used the same system that the announcer used no, no. to be like stepping up to the plate. Now is Bob Murphy, Mickey used the same. Mantle, you know, <laughs> and they were singing like oh, I'm in love, babe. It's like through the same like funky old ass horns. I mean, it was like they were using the thing. Remember Mash? Remember the like they were using the like horn? the yeah the horn thing from Mash to for the Beatles? You know, were like playing through that thing. So what happened was um, Pink Floyd and the Rolling Stones basically invented arena the the technical aspects of arena rock and roll so like the stones the stones were like doing um uh you know uh, arena shows in the mid 60s and then they took a couple years off they had all those tax problems they went off and they made um um exile on main street in france and then they went back out in like 67 68 and um you know, they were like, well, this just isn't, it's not going to work. We got to come up with a whole new, you know, way of the sound working. So meanwhile, what had happened was the amplifiers got to be really loud. Because Jimi Hendrix, you know, his concerts when he was playing, like, 
he was playing through a 100-watt Marshall amplifier because there wasn't anything that could, like, you couldn't put a mic in front of him and get all that guitar playing out into the audience because there wasn't a PA that could do it yet. So once, when guys like Pete Townsend and Jimi Hendrix started playing this, like, incendiary, like, crazy, Eric Clapton started playing this crazy incendiary guitar that was so instrumental to the music, the amp companies were ready to go. They were like, cool, all we need is, like, you know, bigger capacitors, larger fuses, and like more, more of these like tubes, and we're good to go. All it's just sort of more is more. Um, but the but the PA systems needed like a whole other. It like, was so far they behind. They took them a couple years to catch <laughs> That's interesting. up. So what ended up happening was younger guitar players saw guys like Jimi Hendrix playing through these hundred watt Marshalls, and they just were like cool, and they weren't really needed anymore. You could get the same great sound. Um, or a similar great sound, or a more dynamic sound, like a sound that was like, you could do that plus other things with a less you know, powerful amplifier, but it had already kind of become the fashion that people were, it's like one of those things where people were still doing this, they, we don't know why, but we're just doing this because we saw the people do it and the original reason that it was done is sort of lost, you know? So, you know, it, it, um, it in our band, you know, we finally just, I had, because I was losing my voice and stuff like that. So I finally was just like... Yeah, I want to get that. We'll get that next. I was like, you've got to like... You know, you can't... I, if you can show up, you can show up. Feel free to show up with a with an amp that's more powerful than 30 watts. But I'm not going to play. It doesn't mean... Just because there's a microphone on the stage doesn't mean I have to sing. <laughs> so I was just like, go ahead, but I'm not going to sing. You mentioned loudness. And this is going to sound ridiculous. And you might need me to get to therapy. I don't listen to music. Unless it's on somewhere. Like, I haven't listened to music in three weeks or a month and I'm not one of those guys like turn the music off I just don't listen to music yeah, I listen yeah. to podcasts or I listen to talk radio that's it I don't listen to music ever yeah like you can name 50 bands I can like I don't even know who those people are yeah yeah but uh, Opie did a show with Blackberry Smoke so when you hear loudness we were at Hammerstone oh, Urban Plaza yeah. and they would have a sound check it was the loud and it was I hate loud stuff mm-hmm. so like my head was pounding yeah we were so far behind I'm like dude is this how loud the band plays like, it's on a level that no one can understand. And we, I went on stage. I wanted to get a cool picture. And I'm on stage. I, maybe the next two days, my ears hurt. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy how loud it was. We're not that loud. Um, and now we're not nearly that loud because mm-hmm. we've sort of made this adjustment. I mean, that, that to me is sort of, that to me is silly. I mean, the art of being loud in a rock band is bringing the thunder, you know, bringing it so people feel the music as well as hear it. Um, but if I see people with their fingers in their ears, I know we've fucked up, you know, unless it's like some old lady or like we did a, we did a gig <laughs> at the, uh, we did a gig at, uh, <laughs> at, um, the, um, the Friars club. And beforehand, everybody came up and was like, look, um, Jerry Lewis is here. <laughs> he hates loud stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, uh, you know, apparently like Jerry Lewis was really mad at how loud you we were and like left and was like, I hate the spin doctors. And I was like, okay, sorry, Jerry, you know, you made <laughs> fun you- of mentally challenged yeah. people your entire career. So <laughs> that's how he made his life. <laughs> sorry, bro. Was it always music, like musical bust for you? That was it? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you something about that. Um, I've got some friends and they are like uh, music managers and they put it the best. They were like. When we are interviewing someone um, that we're, you know, thinking of managing, we ask them, do you have a backing plan, a backup plan? And if they have a backup plan, we don't represent wow. them. Wow. 
Because that means your heart isn't 100% into it. This isn't your life. What it means is beyond what you just said, what it means is, um, look, this shit is so hard. If you can go off and be a dentist or a CPA, you will. If you can go off and be a ninja or a trained assassin or like, you know, muscle for some organized crime family, like that's anything, easier than being anything is easier than this because, because beyond, beyond, um, you know, and I, I don't, I try in, in, in interviews not to emphasize like the difficulty of this job because I don't think it's really like what people want to hear about necessarily, but you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of being away from the people that you love. It's a lot of, uh, you got to go where the work is. It's a lot of like hurry up and wait. It's extremely boring. Um, the people that you work with, um, it's very hard keeping a band together. You know, like I, like I said before, like I, I really care about the guys in my band, but they annoy the crap out of me, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the time. And I annoy the crap out of them, you know? Um, and, um, and then beyond that, you're fundamentally involved in this thing that, like music, right? You're making music. It's like, it's like you're giving birth to these little, like, you know, kitten, chick, baby creatures that you put out in the world that people are just like taking, shooting at with BB guns. You know what I mean? It's like Mm -hmm. people can say, once you put a song out there, once you put a record out there, people can say anything about it. You know, like, um, um, I was at a, at a bar one time and, um, I was just standing, I was just standing on, on the line, like, Nobody knew who the hell I was. And the dude in front of me was talking to the dude in front of him. And he was like, man, I just went and saw Alex Chilton from, like, you know, um, uh, Big Star. You know, like, the dude is, like, a freaking music legend. And he, like, spent, like, half of the gig just going off on the Spin Doctors. And the other dude was like, what? Why? And he was like, I don't know. He just hates the Spin Doctors. And I'm like, I, nobody knows I'm standing there. I'm like... Alex Chilton hates the spin doctor. Like, like you know, I was like, wow. I was like, fuck him, man. <laughs> fuck you, Alex Chilton. <laughs> Suck a dick. I don't know you. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know my story. Alex Chilton, he sucks anyway. Big star. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> What'd they ever do? <laughs> hey, I'm glad that you, because you got your solo gig I want to talk about, but the spin doctor is what mostly you're known for. Yeah. In the 90s, that rise to the top, Cover Rolling Stone, Saturday Night Live, playing yeah. at Woodstock and Live Aid. When that whole thing happens, are you even close prepared for it or just like fucking hit you out of nowhere? No, I was ready. Like I I'm glad you were honest with that. Sometimes no, it hit me like you were ready nah, for it. No, nah. I mean I, I always felt like I had a destiny. You know what I mean? Um I didn't know what it w- was, but like when I when I was six years old, I'm <laughs> sitting in our kitchen watching like our old black and white Sony television and um, uh, Shirley Temple came on singing the good ship lollipop. And I was like, I am going to marry her. Oh, okay. And she and I are going to do that. <laughs> Whatever it is she's doing, like that is what I so want to do. So you need to perform. That was it. I want to be performing. Yeah. And I was, you know, I've wanted to do this since before I knew the difference between a singer and a dancer and an actor. And I just like, wanted to sing and dance and be in front of people and and um and then you know I started playing guitar when I was like 9 I got really serious about it when I was like 12 or 13 and um I uh I 
fucking love guitars. You know, I, people don't know, you know, because I'm just like the front man of the spin doctors. So I don't play guitar with the spin doctors. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, a competent, accomplished guitar player. And, um, and I'm utterly fascinated by it, particularly the acoustic guitar. I love electric guitars. Mm-hmm. But playing wise, like, I'm really into like finger picking and acoustic guitars and, and like, you know, because that's how I've written songs my entire life. And I got into songwriting from a very early age and I have always had like a, a very strong penchant for creative writing. So I come at songwriting from a creative writing standpoint and I had um, an amazing uh, English teacher, believe it or not, seventh and eighth grade, my English teacher was this guy, Eugene Doherty, who got his arm blown off at Iwo Jima in oh, World War II. Oh, my God. Incredible dude. Um, had this, like, nasty, like, you know, mid-20th century Naga Hyde prosthetic device, the thing with the two hooks. That, like, like, so badass, come right? together, you know, he looked, <laughs> like, he looked like Danger Will Robinson. Like, it was, like, some weird, it was, like, pre-robotic, nasty Naga Hyde, stainless steel thing on his arm and he was into fly fishing so he would tie flies in class and talk to us about fly fishing like like uh like um ernest hemingway you know and to tell us about like you know world war ii and um you know and it was just an incredible um english teacher not just not just creative writing um although he was an amazing creative writing teacher but like also just grammar and like just the love of the language and and um was really good at imparting these like mnemonic devices so you could remember all the funny you know English rules and just showed us like the difference between like one word and another and how why it was important to know what you were talking about and how um you know if you if you wrote in a way that um was like clear and concise and correct how it showed your respect for the reader you know how it was more about more than you that it was it showed something about yourself but it also showed something about your feeling towards the person who's ever going to like read this letter or whatever. It's funny you said that because I have overly like serial killer Unabomber handwriting. And it's so neat. And I remember being in Catholic old boy high school and the teacher's like, when you write stuff down, don't do it for you. Have respect for who's going to read this. Yeah. If it looks sloppy, you're going to look like shit. Yeah. That's what you're going to do. It's a reflection on you. Yeah. Which is so true. And, 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 and I can't underemphasize overemphasize what a great creative writing teacher he like I and did that help with your songs like the creative writing that give help to your songs yeah because I think I'm I don't know I mean I'm I think I'm a you know I'm a I'm you know I'm a highly competent composer you Mm -hmm. know Um, but I think my forte is lyrics I think um, you know um, anybody who is like really familiar with my my stuff um I think the thing that really jumps out at anybody who really digs into it is the lyric writing. And, um, and I, and I love it and I work really hard on it. I found, um, I found, um, just like a little bundle of, of writing from, um, in a drawer a while ago. And one of the things was like a, something I wrote in seventh or eighth grade. And I remember this assignment. We were told, you, you know, Eugene Doherty was our, my English teacher's name. He told us to write about, um, our first love. Right, so I I just was describing this girl that I Shirley? was in love with. In, uh, was, it, was it Shirley Temple? Shirley Temple. <laughs> it should have been Shirley yeah. Temple. Um, and uh, and and at one point in the essay, right? Um, at, the, at this point, I'm like 12, 13 years old, right? I'm like, I wrote, um, 
at night he would lay on his back and think about her. Right. See, I'm, I'm 12, 13. I think I've invented masturbation. Like I <laughs> think I'm the only person in the world who knows what that is. Right. So like, you know, I find this essay and I, and I'm reading through this thing and I see that line and, um, and Eugene, you know, he was right handed. He got his right hand blown off. So he had this crazy handwriting and he wrote in like, um, in like Schaefer fountain pen. So in his weird, like spidery fountain pen next to like at night, he would lay on his back and think about her in the margin. He had written. Yeah. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. It was like, you know, he fucking, he knew what I was talking about. And he was like, that's, you know, strong, you know, like he, he didn't care. He didn't have like a moral judgment. He wanted me to write, you know, he wanted us to write. That's wild. Strong shit. So he didn't care like that. I was talking about jacking off. What he cared about was like, yeah, man, you're on to something there. You know, like <laughs> you would have it. It's truth. He's like to Ruth, you know? So yeah, I mean, I, I think about, I think about him every time, That's cool. you know, every time I write, you know, something he taught me or something he said, or just some kind of principle or just the, just like the importance that he impressed upon me of writing itself, you know? Simba, I want you to ask. Simba, you came here. You did research. Talk no, to the man. I'm, I'm just impressed. Like uh, it's about also, his masturbation no, no, no. at such a young age. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know. It's also a testament, not only to like uh, to writing, but like to teachers, like how like go for somebody yeah. who's like Simba, a teacher the at like um, eighth, seventh, eighth grade can have like such an influence uh, towards somebody in the way that like Eugene had yeah, like, yeah. in your life. And, Without a doubt. You know, you never think about it that way. Like sometimes, you know, I have a lot of friends who are teachers and they're like, oh my gosh, I have to go through this grind. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, you know, I totally, I totally agree with you. Cause I, I think in my case, you know, I had, um, maybe half a dozen, like, five, four, five, six amazing teachers. And I think maybe I'm lucky. I think I had more, you know, great teachers than um, than a lot of people end up having. Yeah. Um, because um, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who who I've known a long time, who I hadn't seen in a long time. We just had this 30th anniversary gig at the Brooklyn Bowl, and I was talking to um, to a friend of mine, Doug Hacksall, who was in this band Dreamspeak, and they just never quite made it, you know. And I was talking to him like, you know. I was telling him like not to feel bad because there's so many things that have to come together for for you to have been. I look back at my life and how lucky I was on so many different accounts. And one of those accounts is just that that I had such amazing teachers. You know, I I uh, not all of them, but I had a couple of really great. I had a great guitar teacher. I had um, an amazing choir teacher. um, And. um, you know, music theory, and I, I was in a school with an incredible uh, music program. Oh shit! I gotta go in a second. Okay. Um, uh, so you have to go in a second. Can we give you quick, a quick few questions? Then? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's bang through some stuff. I'm sorry. I no, go dude. Can I be honest? And I mean this. I know you have to leave in like about five minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you this. I know every interview you do is probably the same thing. So, what made you? For me, this was so much different. So I hope you kind. <laughs> no, I hope you kind of enjoyed it because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many people when they come on. Like it's it's I I've never tried to do a generic interview. Yeah. Like so I kind of thought this was different for me. I hope it was different for you. Yeah, yeah. So about just random shit. Yeah. Okay. 
why you you were you just in Hong Kong? I went on your Instagram page because yeah. I just got back from Hong Kong last week. Oh my god, did you love it? Loved it. Yeah, like I just my... you like why did you go to Hong Kong? Yeah, I kind of made an excuse and just went. Okay, like I I have a friend um, there who owns a bar called the Wanch in Wan Chai. Did you get to Wan Chai? I did not. Amazing neighborhood. It's like where all the sailors used to go. Okay, like, on their leave and stuff. All right, and um. You know, it, it, this bar, if you're ever in Hong Kong, go to the Wanch. It's a live music bar. And my friend um, uh, John runs it. And I just basically like, was like, you know, wanted to go and play his bar. I did like three nights at his bar. Hong Kong's fucking awesome, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. incredible. Yep. And the, there's a lot, of great, a lot of great music there. The food is crazy. And it's like New York. I mean, I just love it because I love New York. It's like got that, you know, not a lot of cities where like everybody's got their... Shit together. shit together like walks down the street and doesn't get in your way and everybody's like you walk into a store and people are like oh i got that right here they're just doing their thing how cool is it seeing tiger woods i saw you took a picture of tiger woods <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of cool it was very cool you know i mean i i'm i am still really kind of starstruck you know i, really? I think one of the things you hear from people who have you know had a bit of a career in the arts and met a lot of famous people and stuff? They're like, I'm not starstruck. You get, I get these sense. I hear that. I'm yeah. like, fuck you. I'm totally I'm, starstruck. Me too. I'm sitting here with all these huge people. For me, meeting you is fucking crazy. And I'm like, yeah, bro, I hung out with Chris Barron. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm like, I leave. I'm like, holy shit, we just hung out. That's fucking cool. Like, I'm glad you. I'm able to keep my shit together because musicians. Like, one of the things about being a musician is like, you just like have to be cool. You know, yeah, I know. It's yeah, just you have to be cool. Did you ever fanboy out with anyone? Um, have I ever? Yeah, I must have. I know I've. I know I've just been. I mean, not. I can't. The only thing that comes to mind as you ask this question is, um, you know, I I, I met Sting at the Grammys That's like cool. long ago, um, like in the nineties. You know, ninety three, ninety four. And he was really, really cool. And then I ran into him again recently and um, and just thought it would be funny, you know, to be like, um, somebody introduced me as the guy from the Spin Doctors. I was like, oh, man, that's really cool. You know, he didn't remember meeting you? And I was like, uh, I believe we met at the Grammys in 93. <laughs> um, I believe I believe I said, bah, bah, nah, bah. and he goes, oh, I remember that. <laughs> you and I hanging out at a bar like we are. Who's the coolest dude? In your phone, that if you texted them, they would text you back in one hour. Oh man, that's so funny. I, uh, I mean, John Popper would text me back right away. Um, you guys are legit friends. Yeah, yeah, that's a bad. You know that is. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, John that's Popper, a bad the great, the great, the great um, you know, uh, virtuoso harmonica player of, of of my friends, the Blues Traveler. Yeah. I mean, he would. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's Does a that sufficient. Count? That's that's a good answer. Okay. It's weird when they're your friend, though, isn't it? Like, it's like, yeah, but he's my friend. I don't think he's that cool. Yeah, I mean, Joe, uh, um, um, Jackson Brown, does that count? I don't know who that is. Jackson Brown, I've been running down the road. I don't listen to music. Oh, I know him. Seven women on my mind. He wrote that. That's badass. Um, okay, yeah. that's cool. And, he, and he's, I mean, he's John Popper's running better. on empty and, you know, he's, he's, he's a legend. Dumbest purchase you ever made. Um, I, I don't know, like, I wouldn't call this dumb, but I think just, it, this comes to mind, I think it's a better story than, like, a dumb purchase, is that 
like when I was selling 50,000 records a week and making tons of money, I would get like super, super high and walk into like guitar stores and just buy equipment. So like, like I have like, and, and, and the funny thing is that the, the stuff I bought um, percentage wise has done so much better than like my stock portfolio that it's been curated by like experts and stuff like that. Like I bought, I bought, um, um, just super high out of my mind. I bought like um, these guitars are called Les Paul Juniors. Oh, from I, the I, actually, 50s. I actually know those. I, I, you know, I bought them for like 1200 bucks. They're worth like, you know, $12,000 now. Um, I was going through some stuff in my basement a little while ago and um, there was like a box like full of bubble wrap and I, I push the bubble wrap aside and I see like black Tolex and I'm like, Tolex is that plastic that they wrap amps in. So I'm like, okay. oh, there's an amp. And then I push it aside even more and I get to the front and I see like the black face patina <laughs> fender like thing. And I'm like, holy shit. And my pulse starts pounding. I pull it out and it's a 1964 like Fender um, uh, Princeton Reverb. It's, you know, the $2,000, $3,000 amplifier that really? I probably bought for, you know, 500 bucks back in the day. Do not remember buying it. Don't. <laughs> Okay. Remember, so obviously you've engaged in, uh, in marijuana smoking. Yes. Who's the coolest dude you ever smoked with? Willie Nelson. Oh, that, oh. that's like the, the goat. You, that's like playing basketball yeah. with Jordan. Seriously. Uh, good story. I'll, I'll, I'm going to bang through this story for you real quick. We're, yeah, we're well, at, I know you have to go, so we'll at, wrap it up with this uh, Yeah, yeah we're at, um, we're at uh, Farm Aid, and um, you know, some of your listeners may be aware that every year during Farm Aid, the farmers would grow like the Farm Aid weed. And they would give it to Willie. They give him a pound of like the farm made weed. So, um, like, I got brought on the bus um, to meet Willie when we did farm aid, and he had like one of those uh, rolling machines, you know. So he, we were smoking this joint that's like a big fat cigarette, perfect joint of the farm made weed, and I'm getting high out of my fucking mind. And I grew up listening to country music because my dad was really into it. My dad's like the one guy in Massachusetts who's super into country music. <laughs> so I grew up listening to Willie Nelson and, and uh, Patsy Cline and Will and Jennings and all these like old school, you know, Hank Snow and Red Sovine. And I knew all this stuff. So I'm sitting there and I'm just so high. I'm just like trying to think of something to say. And I'm like, um, and, and we're sitting at the banquet in his very famous tour bus. It's how covered how in many people? And, and it's me and Willie at the banquet, okay. right? There's like um, one of those lights that they have over a pool table in a bar mm -hmm. and no other lights are on in the bus. So I can sense like, I can sense there's 20 other people like in the bus, but I can't see any of their faces. But I have to ask you, how'd you get into that scene? Like how'd you and Willie be like, a lady with a clipboard just came to was me. Like, was hey, like, hey, you, yeah, Chris, you're famous, come Chris smoke marijuana. It was like, was like Chris, um, Willie would like to meet you. Um, and thank you for being, you know, for coming and doing Farm Aid. So I was like, and I was actually talking to Aaron Neville at the time too, and I was like, uh, uh, "Excuse me, Aaron, like gotta go." Just meeting Aaron Neville, like, oh my god. So I go and get on the bus, and, and we're smoking this joint, and um, I'm super freaking high. I'm trying to think of something to say, and I go, um, "You wrote crazy," and he's like, "Yes, I did." And um, 
what it didn't know was that was like a bone of contention. He sold the rights to Crazy for $150 and later went and laid out in the highway outside of Nashville hoping a car would hit him. It was the low point of his life. And he was like, and that's when he stopped drinking and that's when he got his life together. So I guess it's sort of a mixed memory. You never would have known it from his face. I mean, he was like just proud and mm-hmm. like, you know, kind of like, and this murmur goes through the entourage, you know, through the co- through like Willie's court of like, Oh, this rock and roll guy—he knows, he knows a couple things about about country music. He knows he re- and uh, so there's like this murmur goes through, and I, I like I'm too high to like you know fabricate anything. I'm too high to dissemble or lie or like kiss ass. And I just go, I like your version even better than Patsy Klein's. And they're all just like, oh, roll, roll. and he's like, well, thank you very much. <laughs> That's kind of all I remember. <laughs> so have any questions for Chris Barron? Man. Um- just listen to you honestly has been such a pleasure. Oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you, me or Chris? Are we talking to me or Chris? Both of us, man. Both of us. Yeah, honestly, like yeah, you, the music, the music, like when you were talking about the music, your passion for the music is just like. I mean, if anybody, you know, if if anybody takes anything away from this, uh, I'm a dedicated yeah. musician. I think I'm I think I'm known for like Little Miss Can't Be Wrong and Two Princes, and I'm very happy. That wrote those songs, and it's it's you know like Walter Matthau used to say about being in um, in the Odd Couple. Like I'm glad that I have like I have a tack, you know, that puts me in the bulletin board of people's memories, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I you know I think if people like check out other things that I've done, they'll be happy. Well, surprised. And my new record. Yeah, is, give me because you, you brought me the new record, which we're gonna go get assigned. He brought you one too, Simba. So yeah. you can sign it for us. Just tell us exactly what it is and where I can get it. Um, you can get it um, on vinyl through my website. And uh, the vinyl's really, really cool. It's colored vinyl with a tuck-in poster and a printed dust jacket. And uh, the lyrics, gatefold, you know, gatefold jacket. And, um, and then you can, you, can get, um, you, can get, you can download it. You know, it's on, it's on Spotify and, and um, Amazon Music and like uh, iTunes or wherever, wherever, um, wherever good music is downloaded. I had an absolute pleasure. I hope this was cool for no, you. No, no, I have really And I hope it. this was a little different because like right before you came on today, I was not doing this at work, but I, I did a little Google on you and I typed in like Chris Barron interview and I, everything is the same thing. You lost your voice. How did you get to me? It's like the same eight questions. I'm like, oh, I really don't want to do that. When Simba came in, I'm like, I want to stop talking about his cats. I want to just like be different. I want to like, you know, hey, I try different. to, I try to like, I try to swing, you know, I try to like jam on the questions and, you know, I, I like, I always, I, I this is part of the job and it, it was talking to my wife this morning about how funny this part of the job can be because you're not a journalist, you know, like yeah. a lot of the people I talk to are journalists and their job is to categorize music. Whereas my job is to create music. So a lot of times, like I can't answer the questions in the in the form that they're giving me because I'm sort of like I don't even think about music this way. And like you you're pigeonholed into that one answer they want to give, which would be like that's not. But me, the best dude. thing is, you know, like, um, uh, you know, I'm the lead singer in a rock band. Like I can talk. So if you just set me up to tell a couple stories, like and you killed it, you of, killed the stories, these kinds man. of yeah, these kinds of interviews are the best kind where people are just sort of like so. Um, you know, my mom. Like you're like okay, cool. Let's go. Back to his fucking back to my mom. <laughs> uh, callback. Yeah, you know, we got a callback. Are you mom. into anything else besides music? Like I know on a pigeonhole. Are you into like sports? Are you into I play, reading? I play, I play. I play golf and I read a lot. Um, 
and um, who's you know Eric Larson, he, Devil in the White City, in the Garden of Beasts. You know what I'm reading right now, and I'm reading because I, I read a book a week, fifty-two books, fifty-two weeks. I'm obsessive That's reader. That's amazing. Obsessive. Have you read Have you read um, Little Big by John Crowley? No, man, it is a beautiful fucking book. It's one of my favorite what are, books of all let me time. See what book I'm reading right now. Home going. It's supposed to be a really, really good book. Cool. This oh, one. look at you with your library card. Is this uh, a library book? Yeah, of course. I don't have the Chris Barron money. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Opie only pays me X amount of money. <laughs> the police department Opie only pays me so much. Chris Barron, when I mean this was a pleasure, I know you got to balance. I got to run screaming out of Dude, here. Dude, this is awesome. You spent an hour with us. Thank you so much, my, my friend. My pleasure, man. Thanks.